Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Logar the Barbarian, joined by Dan and Sarah of Planar Compass today. Welcome. Hello again. Hello. Hello again, all. And if you missed it, go back. The last episode, we started talking about running a planar campaign. We're going to talk about it some more. And we talked a lot about the different elemental planes and stuff like that. And we started getting into some of the, well, maybe it's a little lazy to run a planar campaign. <laughs> lazy in a good way. Well, here's, let me, let, let me put this out there. Cause I ran my, I've ran a couple of different planar campaigns. Now I never really ran the typical planescape. If you're not familiar with planescape, the point of entry or movement between planes is a city called Sigil. And this is like exists between different points. And that doesn't exist in the early stuff, like with the manual of the planes. This is kind of Planescape's approach. And there's lots of factions in there. And I think Len from Miami on here has said many times it's kind of a kind of TSR's answer to Vampire of the Masquerade in a way with all these different factions. <laughs> What I did was sometimes I had a lot of different ideas that I wanted to run. And the best way to do that was to hop around in different planes <laughs> and to go from dimension to dimension. Like I've got a lot of different zines that I want to run. I sit and I looked at them. I said, hey, Planar Compass is the perfect zine to pull out so I can go from different world to different world and check out everybody's zine. Sometimes that's why I want to run a Planar campaign. <laughs> it's perfectly justified, I think. I had a friend that was in a big band and he like the big giant big band old school orchestra that he created out of every jazz musician he could find in the area because he just said there are so many incredible musicians in this area why can't i play with them all at once mm. and that's a, that's a planner campaign i'm gonna play with all of my toys at once exactly so the world that i had created or the whatever the cosmology was there was a there was a school and uh, it was it was in the middle of the ocean and there was this huge like island, like a sheer cliff that went up. And on top of that cliff, actually the cliffs kind of went up over around almost like a wall. And on top of this plateau was like, you know, greenery, grass and whatnot, where they had built this school. And in the center of the school itself was a was a library. And this library was formed of, of molten lava when the when the the volcano went to erupt. It, it came straight up and these magic users formed it into this, this great structure. And then there were statues of all the, the magic users that circled around it. And the only way you could get into the city was through, uh, aside from trying to come by, uh, by boat, which was very hard because of the cliff and it was very defended, you'd have to come through some sort of interdimensional door. And there was a great big gate leading to the library on either side where people would come in but there were also lots of nooks and crannies, ancient civilizations that had come up from the under, like just ancient cities that had been ripped up from the underdark out in the woods where it had once been or whatnot. So I'm rambling on about my campaign a little too much, but I'm getting to a point. <laughs> and as you would go through these, there would be different doors to different planes and different dimensions. And my inner point, instead of it being like the ethereal plane, how they describe it, was was kind of M.C. Escher, very inspired by M.C. Escher and watching too many episodes where Doctor Who wandered through the TARDIS. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was very much labyrinthine, so almost like a dungeon crawl within itself to go to the planes is how I approached it in that campaign. 
And that was, you know, our characters would go from place to place through this. And it, it, it lasted quite a while. It was a, it was a pretty well, uh, a long lived campaign, but we got to jump to every place I wanted to jump to and play in. <laughs> yeah. Now, Planescape has Sigil. Yeah. And Planar Compass has something. Well, tell us about what Planar Compass does as that way to travel between planes. Yeah. So Planar Compass essentially has the astral sea to serve as sigil. So the entire plane is the thing that connects everything. So in our setting, the ethereal plane and the astral plane are kind of merged and then kind of doing our own stuff with it. But it's just this, this single cosmic plane of the mind and the soul is the center of the universe. It's the thing of the multiverse. It's the thing that connects everything. So if you want to go between planes, the easiest way is to take the astral sea. There might be portals to other planes in various dimensions that you're in, but if you want to do it in a kind of planned and journey way, you would travel the astral sea because there are known stable portals, and that creates interdimensional trade and travel through these known portals. There's also, we have our own little tiny, you know, analog to Sigil, which is the island of Dreamhaven, but it doesn't serve exactly the same purpose because it's not like filled with portals itself. It's just the center of the astral sea. So everyone passes through there as they're traveling. The astral plane itself. Okay, this is one I haven't read up in a while. What do we know about, what do you recall and know? Because the ethereal plane and the astral plane are different. Yeah, well, there's also different versions of at least the astral plane and probably the one. I know that in AD&D and I think the pre-BX original D&D, the astral plane is a white void or silvery void, right? And you have a, a, I think the only way you get there in classic old school, like Gygax, setting is that you are using a spell that um separates your astral body from your physical body so you're you're literally your physical body is still sitting back where you were but your astral body with your consciousness is now traversing the astral plane and you've got a cord connecting your physical body to your astral body which gets played off on later on and if that cord gets cut you get killed and I think they do something with the, the Gith Yankee eventually, I think, end up with a, a sword or one of them, I think, ends up with a sword that's designed specifically to cut that um, as umbilical a way of assassinating horn, people. Yeah, I remember it being described as an umbilical horn. I've def- I remember playing in a campaign to the Astroplasia scared about her little cords. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the, interestingly, though, I found when I was looking for inspirations, and this is after we created Player Compass, I found that the 83 and on of Basic Expert, the one that uses, uh, I think it's the known world or I don't think it's Mystera, but there's they they use a different actual setting for those books. Yes. And that astral plane is closer to described as space, I believe. It's not described as the white void. So what's interesting is that you end up with in the two product lines in think of AD&D and then BX existing simultaneously, you end up with two different multiverses that are similar but not exactly the same at the same time though considering that we're talking about like many 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 universes 
perhaps the cosmology, and I'm just throwing this out there, it may be as just garbage, but I like to take the approach that the cosmology of different uh, well, prime planes, we're going to call them prime planes, would be the worlds that we're living in or we're functioning in, correct? Yeah. Like, yeah. like originally, like Forgotten Realms or right. Greyhawk or Dragonless. The prime planes may have different cosmologies, planar cosmologies, and stuff like that as well. Where an astral plane from Mystera is it pronounced Mystera? I'm not sure to be honest. I've only ever read it, I've never heard anyone say I, that. For but... some reason, I think I was saying Mysteria it, at one or point Mystara. Time, or Mystara. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know very much about that particular setting. <laughs> I don't know. And I don't know if Mistara is the known world or if that's a different one. But Mistara is the hollow earth one, right? Or is that a totally different setting? No, I so, um, I think that's that eventually Mistara starts getting into hollow earth. Okay. Um, it, now, the, the box I have up there, one of the only Mistara things I have, I think it's called Champions of Mistara. Okay. Have you ever checked out the Champions of Mistara box? No, I really don't know much about the setting, to be What's honest. It's cool. And I don't know a lot about the setting, but I like that box. It's one of the few things I have from it. It's filled with flying ships and stuff. It's yeah. all over that. So it's really nice. cool. <laughs> it's like, this is great. That's one of those things like, this is great to pull out to play with. And you're doing your player cup and stuff because you got all kinds of ship info in there. Yeah, that's awesome. It hasn't been available for probably. I don't know, probably 30 years of this. I don't know what year it came out. Right. There should be a reprint on, on, on what you call it. Um, drive through. They do a lot of reprints, or at least you can pick up the PDF at the very least. Yeah. That's a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> the original ways that the original place that I, that I don't know where the earliest place in D&D the planes are brought into, but the first place that I'm aware of it being mentioned is the player's handbook where they give you a brief look at the cosmology. Yeah. I'm sure that there might be something before that, maybe in an adventure or an article, but I don't know. I, I'm going to agree with you that that's the first that I know of is the player's handbook, which is a really interesting place to put it right because you would almost think of it as is content that should be dungeon master facing because it's the nature of the universe so it's very fascinating that that ends up in the player's hands right up front especially when gygax was always so guarded about what was player facing and what was dungeon master facing because i think even in ad and d the character creation rules i think aren't even in the player's handbook i think they're in the dungeon master's guide so it's very it's interesting to me that he made the choice to put this setting stuff in the player's handbook. I wonder if he did it to spark the player's imaginations or to get them to think about the potential places they could go on an adventure. It's it's a weird choice to me. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm curious why it was. In, now, the weird thing about the original player's handbook, too, is it's got a lot of stuff in there that isn't like... Like definitely it is different than what the second edition player's handbook offers up. Like like psionics are just there in the basic handbook. Yeah. The planes are right there. Yeah. These are definitely not what I would say what became the mainstays of Dungeons and Dragons, but they're in the AD&D player's handbook. Interestingly enough, wasn't I'm pretty sure that the Monster Manual comes out prior to the player's handbook. Yeah, it was the uh, Monster Manual, player's handbook, and then the Dungeon Master's Guide. 
Like the manual of the planes doesn't even come out till I, I'm pretty sure like 87. We're almost getting right. into second edition territory by the time that comes out. And, and back then, I think it was just kind of used as a second edition book as well because it was mm-hmm. Planescape wasn't even a thing. And I don't know, that's just a weird little history of the linear, but there were definitely articles going on in Dungeon or Dragon Mag. Yeah that were addressing the planes and fleshing it out. Like I said, we've looked at some of them. I, I have a lot of them. I, I need a better way to look through them to have to dig through boxes. There's got to be a, I know there's, I know there's a digital option somewhere. I got to figure out to be able to find stuff in those easier. I'm sure someone's some, you know, tenacious nerd has cataloged every single one and indexed it. So you could probably search through it. I'm sure I, that website exists. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I know someone has. So, one of the things that we haven't touched on, though, is the quasi-elemental planes. We talked about the various planes of the elements, but there was the quasi-elemental planes as well. So we have, I'm, I'm just looking at the manual of the planes, the original. You have the ethereal plane, then you have the inner planes. Mm-hmm. And the inner planes are those elemental planes. Then you have what are para-elemental planes and yeah. quasi-elemental planes. Then you mm-hmm. have the astral planes and the outer planes. So, <laughs> did everybody keep up with that? And what does all that mean? Because it's confusing. It goes in depth. So, I- I'm going to see if we can go through each one of these and explain what they are. Right. The ethereal plane is sort of an in-between. And the way it's described here is that it's like murky, cloudy. Things are kind of weird. Time doesn't move. Like, like well, not time, but like space distance doesn't move the same and it it kind of borders in between different uh places and that just that starts on page 11 for anybody who's interested in following along in the book <laughs> and this is the manual of the place then the inner planes so reaching the inner planes is what we talked about last time you got the four elementals and then so then there's the is it the para elementals yeah the para elementals are the ones that are like mixes so like earth and fire is like dust and ash earth and water is minerals and steam and then you, so there's like uh, one of smoke magma ooze is between water and earth which yeah i think is ice of course is between ice between the paraplane of ice is it works much like we talked about the plane of earth where it's you gotta dig through it solid as well a few of them are like that and then you get the pockets and one of the things they talk about is you have like these pseudo planes that are forming and merging and creating other worlds and they're just they may be just like a city-sized place or another dimension that form in between these as different parts hit that i think is where you can get really creative on page 52 of uh, the manual of the planes I almost call it the planar compass. <laughs> <laughs> they have a map of the different quasi planes and everything else and how they interact. And like yeah. I said, in between the different elements is where they form. So different planes and with them with pockets of these apparently burst into other ones. And that's where the most interesting stuff can really occur is when you get cross between them. Cause you can have more than just, endless fire like the city of brass is in the fire realm but it's kind of one of those pockets where elements from other places have seeped into this plane 
yeah. you can actually do something with it. Right. <laughs> and then you have all, then you have negative quasi planes, and then we covered the astral plane and the, the rose. Now, I think we've covered a lot of the planes overall in both of these. <laughs> mm-hmm. One of the big things that they go through in here are the differences in spells and how they work. And how when you go from place to place, different spells will work, different spells won't work. Combat and magic items will or won't work. I know when I played before in someone else's um, Planescape campaign, things would happen. Like I played a cleric. And one of the things with Planescape itself is that perhaps in this plane, your gods aren't going to answer. Your spells aren't, your 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 prayers aren't going to necessarily be answered. If they are, they could be answered differently or the potency could change. And there's supposed to be some sort of logic behind that. It's not supposed to just be arbitrary. So what's the logic behind changing up magic? And how much of that are you going to want to change when you're running a specific system is the question. <laughs> right. Because it has really big implications, right? Without, if you, Unless it's arbitrary. Yeah, you can't be willy-nilly about it otherwise. it's. I think, I think it, I've never run, honestly, I've never run it with spells changing because I'm really lazy. I don't think... <laughs> track of that type of stuff i don't keep track of oxygen when you're in space i don't really like that kind of minutiae i like to kind of hit a vibe and and try and and capture that but um it's it's definitely it makes a lot of sense it's interesting i've never seen actual i've seen it to like a certain extent where somebody might say oh you're in hell so your divine powers aren't as effective but i haven't seen it in this actually played out in this large scale with implications. I think without looking at, at detail, I would, I would imagine that perhaps if it's effectively presented in many of the planes is that the presentations are guides or like inspirations. So if it shows you how one spell is affected by that plane, you can hopefully extrapolate from there. If you know what I mean, yeah. rather than having to refer it, Knowing D&D, it might not be that. It might literally be these are the four or five spells and you have to look it up if you want to know how it happens. You know what I mean? Because that's how it was back then. Oh, yeah. And I'll, and I'll tell you one thing. As much as I love the AD&D books, which is what we've, I've been looking a lot at for this, sometimes later books are written a little better and more clearly and, and articulate things better and clarify and reorganize in an easier yeah. way to understand. For sure. I think there's like a middle period for D and D where early on it was a game, it was a gamey game. So everything was presented in maybe not the best layout, maybe not the best organization, but the presentation was often very terse and it was designed to get you working, you know, with it. But then, like, D&D definitely hit, like, a middle period where I'm thinking, like, late AD&D, early 2E, where it was very, very um, breathy in, in its presentation. You know, and look at, you're looking at, like, any one of these planes, and it's just paragraphs and paragraphs of uninterrupted text sometimes without tables or anything. And I'd have to imagine that it's designed to be something that's digested and not necessarily referenced at the table. I think most of this book, probably 70% of this book is not designed to be referenced at the table. There's definitely referential material in here, but there's large portions of it that I think are designed to get your creative juices flowing as a DM. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I've got this here, the third edition and put out a manual of the planes. 
Oh, I didn't bring. Oh, here they are. I, I need to get my old man glasses on to see this. This because I'm curious what year this came out. It must have been early 2000s when it came out. Yeah, I, I'm assuming 2000, 2001, 2002 at the latest because they went in 2001. So by the time, like the a big difference between this and that, and one of the reasons I don't tend to not look at the third edition books as much is because, like you said, uh, maybe 70 percent of it wasn't you know was not meant to be looked at the table, but. This is, as opposed to it, there's lots of charts, stats, uh, mm. character option type stuff, which you don't really get in early books. Uh, right. The AD&D book, Manual of the Plains, is largely for you to digest, like you said, and get in your head so you can run that campaign. Yeah. Whereas the third edition book gives you a whole section on, where is it? Though it gives you tons of monsters. It actually doesn't give you character options apparently, but so it is more DM stuff. It just, it, it gives you a monster manual in here as well. Mm -hmm. It also gives other planes that I don't remember being in the original one. Maybe I, maybe I overlooked them. Um, no, nah, there probably was. It probably just wasn't expanded like the realm of dreams, plane of mirrors, but also this is post planescape. Yeah. And Planescape started expanding on entire boxes of realms of law, yep. realms of chaos. So alignments are realms and deities tend to be hooked to that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And things like magic and stuff start being questioned and philosophies start changing with factions in sigil when you're playing there. So it was a very different approach to what they were looking at these planes making up at that time. And where they started to go by the time we got to Planescape, it wasn't as elemental heavy as much. Those were still there yeah. as building blocks, but something changed in the focus from book to book, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think Planescape has an I think the manual of the planes is largely designed for the classic DD experience that people are used to, like that kind of Greyhawk setting. Planescape has a different problem because it's presenting a, you know, as I said, world of darkness or even Star Wars or Star Trek setting full of humanoids. So the places these humanoids are from and the places you're going to have to be places that are at least somewhat hospitable to humanoids, right? Yeah. So I think, because that's like the whole point of it, is like you're, if you're playing Planescape, you want to go to these places. They aren't the background setting or the auxiliary setting like it would be if you're playing Greyhawk or Forgotten Grounds. This is the whole point. So these planes have to be more interesting and more complex than just literal endless fire there has to be something else to go on there has to be something that would cradle a civilization probably because else why would you go there if there aren't peoples or things people to meet or things to get you know why would you go there oh yeah they have the planes have to take on more depth by then and they they do start taking on some interest as some of the interesting elements of like the philosophies behind the different factions in planescape that changes play a great deal to faction play yeah. and and, and yeah. what your driving forces beyond just your alignment yep. which is a slightly more complex game if you're going straight from old D D to this it's, it, it it throws a wrench or two into it yeah in, in a lot of ways it's kind of the first of setting that is closer to what to the way a lot of people play D D now which is often a more urban kind of social game as opposed to uh you know a dungeon game now i know that, like I think, yeah, but also one of the interesting things is the first time I ever was introduced to the concept of a tiefling was that Planescape setting. Yeah, I think it's the origin. 
version of the tiefling, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's where it came from. I could be wrong, but the yeah. only time I'd ever seen tieflings back in the day was, and the first time was was that was that setting. And yeah. like you said, probably I think something that might be worth looking at sometime or asking a question of is how much did that Planescape setting influence the modern play of Dungeons and Dragons? Because it was kind of different than other stuff that came previously. And I, I'd say even very different and deviated from the manual, the planes, what they were getting at there. Yeah. At the end of the day, for me, though, it was always easier to do the planes and planar campaigns so that I could cheat and go wherever <laughs> i wanted to right exactly <laughs> there are so many places to go yeah like i have tons of so here's what i say i think everybody should be running planar campaigns you know why because there's a ton of great zines out there mm -hmm. that you can do a, you can explore and and some of them are just kind of like 60 30 60 pages of a setting in an area you spend weeks on that yeah walk to another plane yeah. One of the things I think that I did forget to mention when we were talking earlier, because I talked about the way that I moved from plane to plane in my one campaign with uh, different doors in my little my little schools, like 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 mm -hmm. island, and then you've got the planar compass where you're using ships. It's all it's to me. It, I think a lot of people say that, and I don't think you disagree. It's got elements of like uh, spell jammers and the planes planescape type stuff both in there kind of doing oh yeah 100 percent. yeah and we're definitely not the first people to do this um troika was an influence um that's a more you know looser more abstract but it's definitely it's clearly about you know flying ships through space to get to different weird places right that and i think you know there's i i, I we were even influenced by fourth and fifth edition dnd and their presentation of the Astral Sea, that was like one of the starting points. So this was just a particular choice that we made, you know, of all the different kind of variations of this idea. And then we leaned into it, you know, we made it pirate heavy and did a few other things and started to think about, well, what is our version of the Astral Sea? So we decided the one, the Astral Sea, the Astral Sea, the Astral Plane is the plane of mind and soul, right? So it's, this is where the psionics come in. It's, it's, You've got waves of mental energy flowing through, right? And if it's the place that connects everything, then it constantly is having things bleed into it from other dimensions. So we made a big point in issue two that like wherever you are, there's a good chance that another plane is influencing that place on the astral sea. So fire, you're going to have fire elementals popping into existence, firestorms and stuff like that. It's the antithesis of all of those perfectly laid out, defined, lined maps that are in the manual of the planes. Right. <laughs> because everything's just like, no, it's here. No, it's gone. No, it's here. No, it's gone. And I think there's some of that that's kind of expressed in the manual of the planes. But it is very like like they do this. It reminds me of old um, cosmic maps of the stars from like yeah. like hundreds of years ago. The way they kind of draw them out. Oh yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> definitely like super strange abstract charts in here. Like on on page seven, there's a sky schematic diagram of the planes, which is a circular looped flow chart of energy and gates and it's super weird and i don't like you can sit here and look at it but it'd be really hard to <laughs> interpret or use at the table you know what i mean because it's so abstract it looks like a corporate flow chart literally like <laughs> it came from a board meeting there's a lot there's a ton of them in there 
there's they're very geometric like graphical information which you would never see nowadays it's such a product of its time to have these weird corporate you know infographics in a manual now you'd have some you know artistic interpretations and fantasy art well, it's a sliding scale between a physics like textbook yeah. and the time bandits map <laughs> i love that I love, oh we should have talked more about time i bandits. think you're right <laughs> i love time bandits i think you're right sarah i think they are kind of going for a little bit of a scientific thing i think it's intentional like, it I goes with the a... polyhedral dice man <laughs> <laughs> Now, like the way the manual of the planes, the original manual of the planes talks about the places that we travel through them, it talks about these curtains or these veils, and they mm-hmm. have a different color according to the plane, and right. that changes. They have some really, if you pick up the third edition, I, I love some of the little sketches in there. They have some neat art to some of them. Yeah. And it, and it gives you like visual representations of the different colors of like jewels and stuff like that. And and, and all kinds of cosmology pictures. That's really neat. But you guys said something about the the, the time bandits. There was something I was going. There was a, there was a direction I was going with that, and it completely the map from out. Time Bandits. <laughs> oh, the maps. Yeah, I like the maps. I think they're cool. I, it reminds me of like Leonardo da Vinci or something trying to draw something or comprehend it. Yeah. You know, like, like, how are we going to represent this thing that we don't understand? Like, like, there was a point in time we were trying to draw out the cosmos and our solar system and we hadn't like really gotten a good view of it and maybe it wasn't always drawn right but we're trying to and struggling to so that's what those kinds of pictures remind me of and i really like visual representations of the planes yeah because of that (laughs) i'd love to like get that somehow as an in-game artifact but disguise it in some manner yeah i'm sure we could just drop a a cool ass picture and i I picture it all on like the tattered yellowed paper and leonardo da vinci with it the way he drew his sketches with the lines all through it and I like that look. It's very third edition style right. they're talking about. <laughs> I think Definitely. I'm- I think in the Forgotten Realms, third edition Forgotten Realms, there's a little thing on the multiverse in there. It's short, but and it's got a a visual map of the multiverse and it's I think it's like a tree if I recall, but it's definitely done in that kind of Da Vinci style where it's like it looks like ink on a scroll. At that point, it's like a more artistic thing than you know scientific infographic that you see in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, and the ways that we describe them and understand them, like we use look at things like 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 tree like trees, trees are a big thing we use to represent yeah. visual information, pyramids, trees, up down, yep. top down. And and that's a way that we try to represent things to comprehend them, like those other infographics. And you have like, uh, I'm going to go off on a complete left field tangent. People like Manuel DeLanda, philosophers right now, who are talking about breaking away from that tree structure and talking about things in manners that are rhizomal, like rhizomes. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with the concept of what a rhizome like, is? Like nature? ginger? Yeah. Or grass? Like, like, like tuberous? Like, yes. Think different types of vegetation can be rhizomal, just popping up sporadically in different places as opposed to this top-down structure. I think mm. looking at planes in that manner, because um, he does stuff with social science and the rhizomal <laughs> concept, and that's yeah. going back to Deleuze and Guattari, which is where he's getting it from, but I'm not going to go there today. <laughs> but I think looking at the planes in the rhizomal manner 
might be an interesting approach. I don't know what that means in the long run, but in the end of the day, these are just ways that we're trying to comprehend to express an idea. And hey, if we do find out there are multiple universes, which I'm sure is, I guess it's possible. I doubt there's another us in that universe. Like, hey, there's the other Logar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I doubt it's that mirror universe if it exists. But if we do find out other realms or universes do exist, I mean, there's got to be a visual representation. There doesn't have to be. I'm sure we will try to create a visual representation, even though I feel it's something that you can't capture on a two-dimensional or even a three-dimensional piece of paper. He's are breaking into a new dimension. Yeah. We, we intentionally have never done a cosmological map well we we tend to do much more minimalist with planar compass because it goes with the style um and the taste of what we're but i also think those relationship maps are very interesting having a structure but they're also they're very defined and i think sometimes something more mysterious is more interesting so our, our multiverse is very unexplained we don't say anything other than and that, the always Street will the, be. Yeah. <laughs> Other than the astral Street being the connecting thread of everything, we're we're we so far and probably will never talk about the relations of the different planes to each other. The closest that we've ever even remotely come to it, like concept-wise, is the logo. Yeah, <laughs> where it has like the multiple maps that are like stacked. Well, you could you could consider them maps. They're like coin-like map-looking things that are stacked into a compass uh, box. There's a little bit of logic in the planar hex flower from issue two, but I won't explain what that logic is. <laughs> but it exists. Here's what I think could be interesting is creating three or four conflicting visual representations that would be coming and are arising from, from different planes or different cultures and how they understand or try to represent it. You yeah. have the tree, you have the kind of circular uh, thing that you see going on in the manual of the plane, something more rhizomal, and they come up with a few other different things, map, different ways to map it out that people, you know, I think that would be an interesting approach to have varying different conflicting visual representations yeah, of the planes that have some kind of logic behind them all. <laughs> and I think you could even tell or convey to the players that they're all correct. Because yeah. then it gets kind of mind-blowing trying to trying to reconcile these conflicts well we're about on time if you've enjoyed what you've heard here today please give us a positive review wherever you're listening you can find us on facebook search wobblies and wizards wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog i'm on twitter at logar hail crom or on patreon we could really use the support patreon.com backslash wobblies and wizards and as always keep those dice rolling